0: And everybody said amen, right? <clears throat> well, wow, if you surely, somewhere along the way, you've been blessed today, right? <clears throat> um, thank you so much, uh, worship ministry, for leading us today in worship. As we have said, of course, this is Missions Month at our church. Our theme for this year is Reclaim. And what we have tried to offer you is... Uh, various ways for you to learn, to be inspired, to be encouraged about what you're doing as a church in response to the call of God in our lives with regard to missions. We have the immersive missions display out in the Charlie Hamill Welcome Center. And I want to say a word of thanks to Ashley and our communications team for putting that together because it has been very inspirational and informational for us. We have Bible studies that we've all been studying in our Bible study classes. And I say again, a word of thanks to Cindy, my wife, and Rebecca Dark, and Peggy Kulitz, who have written these three Sunday School lessons for us to study and learn about the call to missions and how our church is responding. Our Great Commission Council, which is populated by your fellow church members. Stephen Lyst is the chair of our Great Commission Council these fellow church members agree to serve a five-year term on that council. And in fact, they can follow it up with another five-year term. So some of them serving for 10 years to provide oversight and leadership for us in missions. And they work alongside Ashley and Kurt Grice and myself as we try to oversee our missional efforts. And so I'm grateful for all these folks who make all of this possible for us and lead us in this mission effort. And with that said, I want us to look at what continues to motivate us and inspire us to do it all. And that really is the story that we find in the New Testament and the challenge we receive from Jesus himself. And so today, let's look at our final lesson in our missions month, and that is reclaiming the entire world. So if you'll go to the last page of Luke's gospel, Luke 24, uh, we're going to begin reading today in verse 36 as Luke shares this incredible story of one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus. And so it's our custom at our church to stand and honor the Lord whenever the gospel is read. So I invite you to stand with me this morning if you're able. <clears throat> Luke 24, we'll begin in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this morning, I I want to just walk through several things that we learn from this text that actually served to guide us in our missional endeavors as a church family. Let's begin with this one. The proof, Jesus Christ is alive. We don't just celebrate that on Easter Sunday. We celebrate that every day as Christians. So if you still have your Bibles open, back at Luke 24, You remember the story of the two disciples who were on their way to Emmaus, and as they were making their way to Emmaus, Jesus came alongside them, and yet he was unrecognizable to them. He was resurrected from the dead, but he shielded them from being able to know who he was. And so Jesus asked them in that story, if you remember, so what are you guys talking about? What, what are you so disturbed about? And they stopped and they said, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened? And then they start to tell him about himself. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. And verse 21, I wanna point your attention there. We've talked about this before. They said, he has been handed over to the rulers, crucified. And then verse 21, they said, but we, we had so hoped. We had just so hoped. We we just knew he was the one, and now he's dead. And all of our hopes have died with him. And then you remember he continued to talk to them, and, and they said, well, come to the house, and let's eat together. And so they they go to their home and they begin to eat. If you look at verse 30, they, they start eating together. And then as they're sharing with one another and they're breaking bread with one another and they're talking about the scriptures with one another, all of a sudden, verse 31, they recognized him. And then he was gone. And then we pick up the story because... They looked at each other and they said, we've got to go tell the disciples. We've got to go back to Jerusalem. We we have seen Jesus. So they run back to Jerusalem and they get to where the apostles are and the other followers of Jesus. Now John tells us they were gathered there as well. And they began to give their report, or they started to, and if you'll look at verse 34, the disciples say, well, the Lord's already appeared to Simon. He's already appeared to Simon Peter. And they said, well, he's appeared to us too. And we've seen him. And so Jesus... Is alive. And then while they're talking, look at verse 36, for we pick up the story. While they're talking, Jesus appears. Now, John tells us they were behind a locked door because they were afraid that the rulers of the Jews would come and get them, just like they had gotten Jesus. So they were fearful for their lives, and Jesus appears all of a sudden. Now, John or, uh, I mean, Luke doesn't say that Jesus passed through the wall. Evidently, Jesus was already there, and then he just made himself known. It's kind of fascinating if you think about it. And I love what happens. Look at verse 36. Jesus says, peace be with you. And look at verse 37, and that just scared them to death. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing they had was peace, because all of a sudden, they're looking at a ghost, is what they're thinking. They are Frightened, they're startled. And then Jesus says, Look, look at me. I'm not a ghost. He says, Look, look at my hands. If, if, if you want to know for real who I am, look, 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 at these scars. Look at what's happened to me. And, and then he says, as a matter of fact, if you got anything to eat, and so you can just sit, they're, they're kind of just looking at him, going, Yeah, we we've got, yeah, we do here. And Jesus eats with them. And all of a sudden they realize. This is the resurrected Lord. You can can touch him. He's right here. He's eating with us, just like he used to do, and yet it's different. He's resurrected. He's offered them this physical, tangible expression of who he is in his body, and yet his body's different because he's transcendent. He can just appear and disappear. So he's not like them anymore, and yet he's like them. It's a fascinating thing. Now, that doesn't tell us everything we want to know necessarily about our resurrected bodies, but it does give us hope because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And so now the disciples, it says, if you, if you turn to verse 44, they're still having a hard time believing it now, but not just because they're afraid, because they're so joyful. They're so overwhelmed. They're so amazed. Well, here's what I would say to you. This is where it begins for us. We believe that Jesus Christ is alive. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. We don't believe he was a ghost. We don't think this was an apparition. This is not some vision that the apostles had. They weren't in some trance. Here's what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ died and he was crucified on a cross and he was gloriously resurrected from the dead, and that is at the heart of the Christian message. If you don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then you don't believe the gospel. So it's at the very heart of our message. So there's the proof. The proof is Jesus is alive. Now, Let's consider the prophecies because Jesus refers to them. After Jesus eats with them, look at verse 44. Jesus said, well, you know, I, I told you about this when I was with you. And then he mentions something that every Jew in the room would understand. It, it, it kind of runs past me and you because we're just so familiar with, with the Scripture sometimes. But, it, but if you look at verse 44, Jesus says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. Now Jesus knew that what you and I call the Old Testament, the the scripture to them, was arranged in three sections. The law, and the prophets, and the writings. And so Jesus says, everything had to be fulfilled about me that was in the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. The Psalms were part of the writings. So in other words, the entire scope of the Old Testament testifies to me. It has material in it that points you to me. And so if you and I think about that, if you go all the way back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, we find the first prophecy in Genesis 3, verse 15, where God is cursing the serpent. And he says to the serpent that your seed one day, your, your offspring, he says, is going to go into a battle with the seed of the woman. And here's what God says, the seed of the woman, you will strike his heel. He says that to the serpent, but he will crush your head. That's the first prophecy. Now isn't that interesting? The seed of the woman. Now every Jewish person understood the seed belongs to the man, not the woman. But in Genesis 3, It specifically says the seed of the woman. In other words, God is already planting this message that something different, something unique, something miraculous is going to occur that will signal to you that the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent has arrived. Isaiah will said a little more directly, behold, the virgin will bear a son. And so you look in the Old Testament, whether you look in the law, the prophets, or the Psalms, Can I just run through them real quickly for you? If you want to look for some messianic passages that point us to Jesus that are fulfilled by Jesus, I will just point you to a few. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Ezekiel 37 verses 24 through 27, Hosea 11 verse 1, Jeremiah 31 15, Micah 5 verse 2, Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Psalm 34, Psalm 69, Psalm 110, are y'all still with me? Zechariah 9 verse 9, Zechariah 12 verse 10, Isaiah 7 14, 8 14. 8 22 through 9 1, 9 6 through 7, 11 12, 28 16, Isaiah 53 verse 5. All of these point you to Jesus. And the New Testament writers, they interpreted these prophetic passages as pointing toward the anointed one. Jesus will even say it directly to the woman at the well. In John 4, verse 26, Jesus will say to her, she says, well, we know the Messiah. The Christ is coming. And Jesus says to her, I am he. I am the Messiah. So Jesus has fulfilled all the prophets and the law and the Psalms that point to the Messiah. So the prophecy in the Old Testament that looks forward to a day when this anointed one is going to come, this special one who will crush the head of the serpent has arrived and has been fulfilled in Jesus. So with all that said, let's talk about what we're proclaiming as a church in missions. What the plan is that Jesus has given us and how it's empowered. So let's start with the proclamation. What is the proclamation? Well, let me just say it it real simply for you. Jesus Christ is the message. That's what we share. Wherever our people go, that's who we talk about. We point people, not to our church. We don't point people to our way of life. We don't point people to our culture. We point people to Jesus, no matter where we are, whether it's here in Arlington or whether it's across the world. So why do we do that? Well, because (laughs) that's what Jesus told us to do. Look at verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. Don't you wish you'd been there? Now I'm just gonna tell y'all, I'm a blessed man. I've had some amazing Bible teachers in my life and theologians who have benefited me greatly. I could never repay them. When I was at Southwestern Seminary, I took New Testament. I took New Testament Greek from Dr. James Brooks. Dr. Brooks had a PhD from Princeton in textual criticism of the Greek New Testament. He had a doctorate of philosophy from Oxford in textual criticism of the New Testament. The two leading textual critics in the world who were alive at that time, one at Princeton, one at Oxford, Dr. Brooks is the only one who had a PhD under both of them. That's who taught me New Testament. That's who I studied Greek with. His head is this big. (laughs) He was a fighter pilot in Vietnam. Landed on aircraft carriers. I'll never forget it. We asked him about it one day. He said, you know, the first time I landed on an aircraft carrier at night in Vietnam, it occurred to me, I'm moving, the ship is moving, and the world is moving. I hope I get this thing safely on this ship. Brilliant man of God. I still have my notes in my office that I refer to regularly. Dr. Bruce Corley, powerful New Testament scholar. Dr. Curtis Vaughn, I took Dr. Vaughn for an entire year. Romans in the Greek New Testament. We diagrammed the book of Romans in Greek. Now, I'm just gonna tell y'all, little old boy come from Alabama had enough enough of a time trying to diagram words, uh, sentences in English, much less in Greek. And so Dr. Vaughn was brilliant. Sometimes he would come to I remember one day he came to class and he had a napkin and he unfolded this napkin He said, you know last night. I was having dinner with my wife And it occurred to me I've always diagrammed Romans 5 the way I showed it to y'all in class on Friday And you know what an idea came to my mind Maybe you could diagram it like this and he unfolded that napkin and on that napkin was written Romans 5 And he then wrote it on the board and I sat in my desk and I thought you and I are so different I ain't ever thought about Romans 5 in the Greek New Testament while well, I'm having dinner with my wife, I can promise you. <clears throat> I finally went to him. I said, Dr. Vaughn, this class is too hard. Several of us students got together and said, Dennis, you've got to go tell him. We, we're, we're struggling. So I went, I went to his office. I said, Dr. Vaughn, this is just too hard. He said, what's so hard about it? I said, "Are you, seriously? He said, okay, let, let me think about it. And you know what he started doing? He invited Joel Gregory to start coming to our class and taking his notes and turning them into sermons just to help us see the value of what we were doing. Dr. David Kirkpatrick, a member of our church, Captain Kirk, we call him. He's out of this world. Brilliant theologian, challenged me. And you know what Dr. Kirkpatrick used to tell us in our class? Jesus is the answer. Dr. Ray Summers Dr. Summers was our interim pastor at Gambrill Street when I was in seminary. Incredible Greek scholar. On Sunday nights, he came to us during his interim and he announced to us, he said, hey, if it's okay with you all, I'm going to teach through the book of Revelation on Sunday night. I was a young seminary student and I was sitting on about the second row. And he came to church every Sunday night with just his Greek New Testament And he would just stand there and interpret the Greek New Testament in front of us. I still have all those notes. I'm I'm a blessed man. I have been taught, poured into by some incredibly brilliant scholars. But can you imagine if Jesus himself opened your mind to the scriptures? (laughs) That's what happened here. Jesus said, let me show y'all what this all means. And so what did he show them? Well, he showed them the message. Look at verse 46. He says, this is what's written. Now, the NIV translates it like this, the Messiah. That's the way to translate. But the Greek word is Christ, Christos. The Christ, the Messiah, he says, is going to to live. He's going to fulfill all of these prophecies. And he's already said that's what he has done. So he's talking about himself. He is then going to suffer Pasco is the Greek word. We get our word passion, the passion of the Christ. He's going to suffer. He's going to die, in other words. He's going to die vicariously on our behalf. And then he will gloriously rise again. The scripture says, anastami, means to stand again. And that's what Jesus says, this vicarious death. The Bible says that the Lord has taken all of the iniquities of humanity and laid them on him. By his stripes, we have been uh, healed, and now he has risen again. The resurrection of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is the message. That's what we are to proclaim. This gospel that points everyone to Jesus. Now, here's the plan, and it's an audacious plan. Jesus Christ is to be taken to all the nations. That's what Jesus says. Won't you look at verse 47? He says, In repentance, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to everybody. Well, what is repentance? Well, that's to accept the gospel, that's to understand. Jesus is the Son of God, and he came to offer salvation to humanity. Forgiveness of sin, that's, that's kind of a shortened way, a theological way to talk about salvation. That's what it means. A holy calling, discipleship, to embrace Jesus, to be forgiven. And it's to be done in his name, in the name of the Messiah. And it's to be done for all the nations. Ethne is the Greek word. All the peoples of the world. It fulfills Genesis 12, where God told Abraham, through your family, I'm going to bless all the families of the world. And so, you are supposed to be, look at verse 48. You're going to be my witnesses. Martyros is the Greek word. We get our word martyr from that. You're going to be the martyrs. Well, that word came to mean more than just witnesses. It came to mean people who offered up their entire lives for this gospel. And it's to go to all of the world, these apostolic witnesses. Today, you and I have the New Testament. That's the apostolic witness in our day. And you and I are now witnesses. And we're to take this gospel to the whole world. So, Missions. What I want you to know about missions, it's not our idea, we didn't come up with it. It's not our plan, it's God's idea. Why do we go to all of this trouble? Why do we spend so much time and money and life investment and training? Because Jesus said in Matthew 28, go to all the nations, make disciples of all of them, teach them what I've taught you. Acts 1 verse 8, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus says here, take this message to all nations. It's to go to everybody everywhere. So we as a church, we take it seriously. And so that's why you as a church family, you're involved in something Incredible if you're a member of this church because you're a part of a personal response to the Great Commission. We send our own missionaries. We've trained them. We've sent many of them. We now have three global centers across the world where our missionaries, our people, our church members live and work every single day on your behalf because we're taking the gospel to the nations. So, Gabe and Satan, Emily and Garamon, Ryan and Sarah, on our behalf, right now, are serving in these global centers, and we're planning and preparing to start a fourth global center that you're going to know about soon. You already have heard some about it, but not only do we do that, we work here. Right now, here at Mission Arlington, we have 350 apartment churches that are meeting right now all over this city, sharing the good news of the gospel proclaiming Jesus. We also are connected to our Texas Baptist family. I just returned from our annual meeting of Texas Baptists. Our church was recognized as one of the top 10 giving churches in the state of Texas for the World Hunger offering, because of your generosity. You are feeding people through our commitment to Texas Baptists. You're connected to a whole web of mission work across our state because you are a Texas Baptist. We're also connected to Restore Hope, You know, Restore Hope doesn't just send our missionaries. Restore Hope helps other churches send their missionaries, and we partner with them. And because of that, we're a part of a web. We're part of a network of taking the gospel to various places across the world that are hard to reach. Global Gates, another mission organization that we're connected to that Chris Klayman started. Chris and Nicole were members of our church and we sent them to New York City and they launched this massive ministry now known as Global Gates with hundreds of missionaries working all over America in unreached peoples. You're connected to Frontier. You're connected to the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. You're connected to a brand new movement that was just launched this week in Virginia called Ascent. And you're going to hear more about it as we move into the future. The point is, we can't do this by ourselves. But if we'll do our part and we join our part with other brothers and sisters who are doing their part, then guess what we're going to do? We're going to cast a net all over the world. Because that's God's call in our lives. Now, here's what I want to make sure we all understand. That task is too big. We just can't do it on our own. Aren't you glad we don't have to? Jesus, look at what Jesus says in verse 49. He says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised you. So here's the power the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit. See, there's the power. Notice verse 49 I'm going to send you what my Father has promised you, but stay into the city, stay in the city until you come up with a really good plan. That's not what he says. He already has a plan. He says, you stay in the city until you are robed with, enveloped in, clothed with power. And then you can do this. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. But what I want you to know, the Holy Spirit is still at work today, praise God. The Holy Spirit goes before us. The Holy Spirit prepares. He softens. He changes. He works circumstances And when we arrive in a new place, guess what? The Holy Spirit's already been there. Y'all know that though, right? We don't bring the Holy Spirit. He's already there. Years ago, before we started working in Sierra Leone, we were working in another West African nation. And we were partnering with some IMB missionaries, and they wanted us to do some research for them among the Fulani. And so... Cindy and a team from our church went. And they arrived there and the missionary said, we don't even know where all the Fulani live. We need some research to be done. And so our church members were there and they received the the, the challenge. We'd done some training. We talked about what to do, look for a man of peace, share stories from the scripture and see what God does. Our own Chad Hollander, Chad's sitting right there. Years ago, Chad and a friend of his from his work, they were sent out among these Fulani villages. I'm telling you, they passed the uttermost sign. Am I right, Chad? Kept going. Next thing you know, they find themselves in a very remote place in this West African country. And they're waiting by a road trying to get transport back to where sending them were, and a group of men gathered around them. And Chad and his friend, they knew they'd been trained. What do you do? Well, tell them a story. Tell them a story from the Bible. So they told the story of Elijah in Mount Carmel. True, Chad? Got little sticks together, lit a fire, told that whole story. Had a translator who was with them so the people could understand. This group of people standing around them. They finished the story of Elijah. And they say, Does anybody have any questions? One of the men says, can you tell me how to follow the Jesus way? <laughs> What's that got to do with the story of Elijah? The Holy Spirit... Turns out he was already there working in the hearts of that the heart of that one man who listened to these two men and he won't know about Jesus. Well, guess what? We started working right there. That's where we work today. We ended up sending two people from our church, Ben and Melissa, to live in that country and take the gospel to that community. And you know what else we did? We sent teams. Cindy went back to that very village where that man had asked that question. When Cindy got there a year or so later, with some volunteers from our church, the chief's son was really sick. And Cindy told the folks who were with her, she had a nurse with her, she said, we need to take this chief's son back into the capital city and see if we can't help him. The missionary nurse said, Cindy, first of all, six hours back to the capital. And in the next village, that chief's son is sick. And in the next village, that chief's son is sick. And in the next village, she said, I've been down here a long time. Cindy said, well, I don't know about any of those villages. I just know this guy's sick. I'm taking this guy to the hospital. So she loaded him up and took him six hours to the hospital. And his life was saved. We took him back, and that chief said, you're welcome in my village from now on. And completely opened the door for us. Then I showed up. And they took me to meet with the king of that area. That, that nation has six kings. And I met with the king. And this king said to me, he said, why are you all here? Why, why did y'all come? So I decided just to be honest with him. Said, well, let me tell you why we're here. And I shared with him why we're here through a translator. And he said back to me, he said, you know, when I was a little boy, we had an Anglican missionary who came out here and talked to my father. She was from France. And he said, we didn't know anything about Christianity. We knew anything about what was going on. But that Anglican missionary was a real help to my dad. He says, matter of fact, because of her, my dad sent me to France to get my education so that I could return back here and rule my people as an educated person. He said, I've always been indebted to the Anglicans. And he said, so you Christians are welcome in my region. And so today, we have a worker. We brought our missionaries home, but we have an indigenous evangelist, Adam. And he lives in that area, and every month he goes out to that community on your behalf, and you support him. When you give your money to the budget, and you give your money to the world mission offering, you're paying his salary. If you talk to Adam, he'll tell you, he'll said he tell you he's never been out of his little area, and he'll say, I am on staff at First Baptist Church of Arlington, Texas, United States of America, and today we have 55 Christians in that community, and it's growing You know why? Because we've been robed with power. Because God was already there when we got there. Because the Holy Spirit's already at work. Guess what? He's at work everywhere. And we go join him and we take the gospel to all the nations so that one day we'll all be gathered around the throne. And there'll be people from every tongue and every nation and every people group who'll be offering praise and glory to the Lord Jesus. But until that day comes, we're going to keep our hands on the plow. Until that day comes, we're going to keep working. We're going to work. How's that song go? We're going to work till Jesus comes. That's what we're going to do. And when he, find, when he does return, what I hope is this, he finds us busy in his kingdom endeavor. May it be so. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much today for this calling, this missional calling that is grand and massive and powerful and all-encompassing. And yet, we thank you that it's good news everywhere. We've been reminded of that today that this gospel took root in Korea, and the churches in Korea are powerful. And you are even using them to take the gospel to the world, just like you're using us and so many churches around the world from so many places. And we have been blessed today by one of those churches in Korea. And so, we thank you for that. We thank you for the beauty of this tapestry that we know as the Christian family. May you find us faithful in this mission task, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.